she steps in and in, in a lot of ways causes the end of the play. Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Welcome back, everybody. We're excited to uh, be back at this again, to be back at uh, the kind of full length plays. Not a couple, not too long ago in our season, we were doing the kind of mini month and doing shorter plays. And uh, now this week we're into we're into a piece of, you know, theater history. This is one of the plays we're talking about this week. This this one ends up in anthologies that you buy for, uh, you know, history of theater courses and things like that. It's a very well uh, known play. It's an important play in the lexicon in terms of theatrical movements when it was coming out. Uh, We're talking today about uh, Miss Julie by August Strindberg. Yeah, this play is so influential. I mean, when, when we get to our normal context part of the episode, we'll we'll do our best to put it in its place, kind of in the history of what theater, at least theater in the West, is and has been and, and has become. But this is one of those plays that, like Jackson said, I mean, it's in theater history courses because of its role in shaping theater and in and in because of August Strindberg's role in shaping theater. So it's a we try to do these kinds of episodes every so often to revisit the the great uh, influential plays of theater history. We don't do them too often because it, truthfully, in terms of running a podcast, it's hard to come up with something new to say about them. <laughs> I mean, every theater history professor at every university has a lecture on Miss Julie ready to go. So we'll we'll have sure. a conversation about the things that interest us about the play, the things that are weird, the things that are important, the things that are that make Miss Julie was it what it is, the strange power dynamics, the strange pace of the play Um, but learning about this play is going to be learning about it from a lot of smarter people than us out there (laughs) as well (laughs) for sure for sure lots of brilliant folks have have given this play time for good reasons um and uh yeah we're we're just we're just adding adding to the song a little bit and perhaps maybe prepping you for a conversation about it uh next time you're either talking about with a friend or in class or whatever when you hear the next lecture about it you'll be ready to go because you tuned into this podcast um, yeah, excited Excited to kind of chat about it. Excited to get into the conversation. Before we do, I did want to just take a second, as we always do, and thank our delightful patrons over at patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast for being patrons of the show. Thank you all so, so much. It's uh, just really awesome to have you over there. We, we have a good time over there. We got some patron-only posts over there. We got all sorts of things going on over at patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. If you're looking for a way to 
be a part of the show uh, to both uh, both to just like kind of join in the community in a meaningful way, but also to help out the show in a really significant way. Patreon's the way to do that. We love getting to do this show. We love getting to have conversations about scripts, both uh, you know scripts that maybe um, you haven't run across and scripts that you will very likely run across if you spend any time in theater. Um, and uh, the patrons make it happen. So you'll find a number if you're if you're interested in uh, joining Patreon, you'll join it. You'll find a number of tiers to join over there, the lowest one being just $1, uh, $12 over the course of a year. Um, so there's lots of different options for you, lots of different ways to engage. Thank you to those of you, again, who have already become patrons of the show, and we will see you over on patreon.com slash podcast. And now back to the script. All right, here we go. Yeah, all right. So we're on the front end of a conversation about Miss Julie. Again, that pivotal, transformative play, playwright in theater history. We're going to just do the best we can <laughs> in terms of the contextualizing of this play. We will miss stuff. We will definitely not say stuff that some really smart theater thinkers who are listening to this podcast are going to go, what about that? You didn't <laughs> say that about the history of Miss Julie. And you're right, we didn't. Well, we'll you know, this is our best <laughs> effort at putting Miss Julie in its proper historical context. As we usually do, we will just start with a, a brief introduction to the playwright because August Strindberg is a new playwright on the podcast in the sense that we haven't done a Strindberg play yet. He's certainly not a new playwright by any stretch of the <laughs> imagination. This is a Swedish gentleman who lived from 1849 to 1912. And uh, across that lifespan, August Strindberg was an absolutely prolific writer. I have in my notes that I was going to call him a writer of all things. And <laughs> in that sense, as, as many of the playwrights were from that late... Uh, late 19th, early 20th century zone. Uh, he was also a poet and a novelist and an essayist and wrote several passionate sort of theater theory kinds of those that didn't really exist at the time in, in textbook form, but the essays and arguments that he published about uh, many various things. He was also a painter. There's a whole part of his career about painting. I mean, this is a... Um, Again, prolific artist in the terms of the content that he put out and the way that he, the way that, that those things that he put out went on to have a huge life after him. We believe that Strindberg uh, wrote more than 60 plays. Obviously, most of those we just don't have our hands on and we just don't do. The, the major plays of August Strindberg that you may have seen or heard of, uh, Miss Julie, of course, is the kind of August Strindberg play. We may explore why that's true but also plays like the father and Master Olaf. And in that early part of his playwriting career, he was this big-time proponent of theatrical naturalism. This comes out of some French writing, I believe, from uh, Emile Zola, who if you've taken your theater history class, you've probably even read some of the writings that Zola did proposing what naturalism was going to look like. There's sort of a three-pillar system to what that early theatrical naturalism was. Um, this is a, a kind of a Darwinian view of human psychology. It emphasizes social class and heredity and this sort of simple plot action based on everyday life, these everyday life settings. There's this idea that they're really 
really should be kind of one plot, one action, these multiple subplots and genres and such. They didn't really uh, uh, get too much into, of course. Um, and, and of course, all this is a reaction to melodrama, as so much was in that early time period. And Strindberg, influenced by Zola, basically says to himself, you know, those French people, they never really got naturalism actually right, actually done in the correct <laughs> way. So I can do it. And out of that comes those three major early plays, The Father, Miss Julie, Master Olaf. Those are not in the right order, but those are the titles. Later in his career, he gets into writing in the sort of symbolism theatrical genre, and those are those make up a lot of the plays of August Strindberg's that people just don't really do anymore. I mean, I'm sure they're produced in some capacity, but not in the same way that a play by Miss Julie is. Um, Strindberg's writings, both the uh, the actual plays that he wrote and the kind of theater theory argument essay writings that he produced, including one that is like the the prologue to Miss Julie, if you will are hugely influential, especially on a group of playwrights from kind of the middle 20th century in America. Names that you're going to know. Your Arthur Millers, your Tennessee Williams, your et cetera, et ceteras. Uh, Eugene O'Neill, when he gave his speech after receiving the Nobel Prize for Literature, uh, really heavily credits Strindberg, calls him a genius, uh, calls the stuff that he did in terms of building stories from human psychology. Uh, and, and if you think for just a second about what we think of theater as right now, stories from human psychology are still a huge part of what theater is. I mean, you should just go down the list of the most recent Pulitzer Prizes if you just want a real brief snapshot of that. Look at the winners. Look at the finalists. Simple stories driven by characters making choices based on their conditions to better their lives, that that movement, not entirely, but in large part, is what Strindberg started with a play like Miss Julie. I mean, again, we can't understate the way that the plays we read and talk about now are a extension more than a century later of a play like Miss Julie and the the new world that Strindberg was laying out in terms of drama. This play specifically, 1888, it is supposedly loosely based on a story that Strindberg once heard and in context of all this thinking and writing he was doing about theatrical naturalism, thought, you know, that's perfect because it has this sort of uh, high stakes, part of Zola's tragic, uh, sorry, not tragic, part of Zola's uh, theatrical naturalism was that the stakes still need to be high. They shouldn't just be silly stories, even though they're kind of simple human stories, but they're human stories of life and death. And, of course, Strindberg hears this story, supposedly, and says, Aha! That's it! That's a story of life. It's a fall of a, of a famous wealthy family. It's about someone who, is, who makes a bad choice and faces consequences of that. It's, a, it's all of these things that I've been looking for, and so I'm going to put it on stage. Um, generally, this play is, is preceded by an essay that he wrote to accompany it on his ideas of theatrical naturalism. If you're reading this in context of an educational class, I'm guessing you're likely also reading that essay. In some ways, the essay, although Miss Julie, as we'll look here in just a second, is a hugely influential piece of drama. In some ways, the essay that precedes it is almost as influential. Um, yeah. 
the the stuff that he talks about about a class and society about the way that those are the primary drivers of Jean and of Julie uh, is is so important and again we we just briefly touched on before we still make drama about those things and the, the dramas that we make about those things win major awards Tony Awards Pulitzer Prize <laughs> Awards Obie Awards because they're so good you know 188 would be Math on the fly, 10, 20, 30, <laughs> uh, it's like 30, you know, 130, it's 140 like 100, years yeah, later. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's up there. Um, when the play originally came out, uh, Strindberg was also like working with a small theater company, working with these sort of intimate theatrical partners. He decided to put up a staged version of it. In order to sort of get that approved, there's the censorship system at the time, he made some alterations to the script so it was censored in certain places so that he could perform it. Unfortunately, it still got shut down before it could actually come up, even with the censors that he put into the script. So he had to be sort of sneaky backdoor about the original world premiere i believe he performed it in like a student union or something comparable like that just to have a place for the original production to happen um so that was 1888 and near as theatrical scholars can tell and i don't have any reason at all to doubt that this is true the play has been performed every year in history every year since wow. 1888 so that's a hundred and what 35 years or so since 1888, it has been performed somewhere in the world. That is the legacy of this play. Uh, it has constantly been alive in the way that theatrical plays are alive when they're staged. Some of the companies that have done Miss Julie, I, I looked up some specific stuff. I'm going to be honest with you, though, though, you could just pick a theater company out of a hat. And they've done Miss Julie at some point in time. Right. Maybe not your most local community theater, but any any theater, you know, at, uh, at a different level than that has done Miss Julie. Every educational institution, every, so, so some of the major productions, 48th Street on Broadway, Arts Theater in London, Lyric Theater in London, the Court Theater on Broadway, the Nimrod Theater in Sydney, Australia, the Kenneth Moore Theater, Roundabout, Toronto's Cannes Stage Company, Theater of Nations in Russia, Baxter Theater Center in Cape Town, South Africa, Melbourne Theater Company in Melbourne, Royal National Theater. And, and, and again, those are associated with specific productions. But with this kind of a play, like with a Shakespeare, there'd be no need to associate it with a specific production. The theater near you has done Miss Julie and is <laughs> part of that legacy of its productions year after year. A lot of things across time have been read onto and into this play. Um, adaptions of it have been set in the Jim Crow South, in apartheid South Africa, in the aftermath of the Irish Civil War. I, I mean, all kinds of cultural institutions, really anything that would cause there to be a sort of uh, class and social status segregation between the characters of Jean and Julie have been read onto the play or have been outright adapted onto the play. There have been a number of film adaptions, 1912 and 1922 silent film adaption, 1947 film adaption called The Sin of Julia, uh, 1951 film, 1956 television version, Helen Mirren was in a 1972 television version. Uh, there were some, some television versions in the 80s and 90s. Peter Mullen and Saffron Burroughs were in a film in 99. In 2013, there was a film with Jessica Chastain and Colin Farrell. Uh, in 2015, there was 
a film adaption called She's Wild Tonight, which is based on one of the famous first lines of the play, which is an awesome title. Better title than Miss Julie. Hot take. Uh, <laughs> 1995, there was a, uh, a stage adaption by Patrick Marber called After Miss Julie. This is the kind of work, like many of the Shakespeare's, that has been adapted into a ballet, into, I count, at least four, probably more, but at least four separate operas based off of Miss Julie. Um, that's, I mean, that that is a lot, and that is just a snapshot. And that is the challenge of bringing a play with a legacy like Miss Julie to the podcast. Sure. That was long, and it was just a small picture. <laughs> yeah, just a drop in the pond of what this this play is. As you said, you know, 130-some years of there's been a production of this play every year. Um, it's wild. Um, okay, I'm going to jump in with a little bit of synopsis for us. Again, broad strokes, and here we go. Um, we're going to get into the conversation around some of the big themes and connecting them to some of what Jacob has already said. But to get Give us all a common ground. Um, this play is uh, set on in in one one place, which is which is nice, a nice unity of of place um, uh, for for the beginning of this play. It's uh, set on this kind of manor estate of uh, Miss Julie's father in the country of Sweden. Um, it's it's Midsummer's Night, uh, sometime in the 1880s, uh, is the kind of uh, at least original written uh, setting of this play. Second hot take about the title. I think you probably could title this play A Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> For sure. Just think about that. Just think yep. about it. You know what? I mean, <laughs> dreams factor in heavily. After everything goes down, Julie's yep. like, this, I hope this was a midsummer. I mean, she doesn't quite say this, but the line <laughs> is very much to the effect of like, I hope this Midsummer's Night was just a dream. They're right. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 accurate. That <laughs> for sure. Uh, <laughs> um, so so yeah, on this particular midsummer's uh, night, you have uh, uh, this sort of. Uh, party going on. Uh, it is, it is, uh, June the 24th, St. John the Baptist day, um, is, is the day that is described in my script as happening right now. And there's a party, I believe for the kind of, uh, staff of the house going on primarily. Um, uh, the, the, the a lot of the, uh, the, the servants that work at this manor, uh, Miss Julie's father, uh, who, who I should have like looked for his name in here somewhere. Um, but, but we're just going to call him Miss Julie's father for now. Um, kind of yeah, I mean, runs. They refer to him a lot as the count. Like the count yeah. is coming. These are the count's boots. And that, I mean, that's really in the vein of this kind of theater that's been created, right? His social status more or less is his name. The right. Count. Right. For sure. For sure. Kind of leaning into some of the class commentary that is going on um, in, in the play. Everyone just kind of like reveres him as the count. Um, he is momentarily out of the house. Um, he was kind of dropped off at a train station um, earlier or earlier on. And um, and the, there's there's a, a, a party going on. Um, uh, the but the action of the play takes place in the kitchen and the garden uh, just outside of the kitchen. Um and uh, the opening of the play, uh, you see uh, Christine, uh, uh, who is the kind of cook of of the of the house, uh, going about the process of kind of making some food. And uh, eventually, Jean comes in. Jean, uh, we find out that uh, through through their conversation, that Jean and Christine are affianced. Um, uh, they're they're engaged to be married at some point, um, though though the the actual date is unclear. Um, 
And Jean comes in and is kind of remarking. And also the seriousness of it is kind of unclear. Yeah. At one point, aren't they like, yeah, well, that's what we call each other. And Julia's like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, uh, so so in comes Jean into, into the room, and he kind of comments on what Christine is doing, making food, etc. But he also starts to comment on Miss Julie. Now, Miss Julie uh, is the, the kind of uh, mid-20s uh, daughter of the Count. And uh, she is attending this the, the servants party, and she's dancing. She's kind of going around and, and having a good time. Um, but there is uh, already just right away at the top, we get a bunch of rumors about Miss Julie. Yeah, don't don't miss that because it is. I mean, as much as anything in this play, and a lot still to come, she's attending the servants party, the servants sort of wild, drunken midsummer nights party, and she, the daughter of the count, is attending. I mean, this is. Uh, this is a play about class and social status and heredity, and she is attending the servants' party. You can't miss these social distinctions and, right. and the expectations that come with them. Yeah, yeah, the the kind of scandal of impropriety um, is is uh, definitely uh, just just there right away at the beginning. We're gonna get we're gonna get further down that rabbit trail um, uh, as we go. Um, so so John is kind of commenting on that, commenting about how wild Miss Julie is. We hear quite a few rumors about what life has been like for Miss Julie recently. Should we know that she was recently engaged to be married? But um, uh, at least in in John's pretty biased opinion, but I think later confirmed somewhat by Miss Julie, um, uh, she she kind of. Uh, pressed her fiance a little too far on something. She had him like literally jumping over a whip at one point, like trying to train him like a dog. Um, <laughs> and I think you would like easily set that aside as like Jean making up a yeah, rumor blowing or things exaggerating out of some kind of story. Except that later. It seems like it's more or less confirmed by yeah. Julie that she was like making her fiance do like tricks at the yeah. at the risk of being like whipped with a riding crop. I mean, uh-huh. what the heck? <laughs> Yeah. Yep. So, so, so you have that kind of shared a little bit and, uh, some back and forth between Christine and John before Miss Julie eventually comes into the room. She is kind of fresh off of a dance, um, and is, is asking John to come out and dance with her. Um, and so John, or I'm, I'm sorry, I believe John actually leaves first. That's, that's what happens first. Um, John leaves to the other room. He goes back and he, and he dances with Miss Julie. Um, what, what follows is then a pretty important theater scene that I'll just briefly mention here. It's in my, in my script it's called the pantomime it's a long scene where you hear the dance happening off stage with christine going about the work of the kitchen this is uh important because it is a part of that naturalistic movement of like we're just putting like real life on stage and so for like a three minute song or something uh, at least it's called in the script you see christine going about the business of cooking um and kind of doing her work in the kitchen this is the kind of moment that we could like stop and talk a lot about now or later, but like (laughs) it, and it's so weird and, and, and amazing that like in terms of the staging of this story, the story really is happening with Jean and Julie dancing at the servants party. And that's just something that you hear happening off stage while Kristen just like, Cooks dinner, cleans up. Yeah, I mean it's just like simple, like just the everyday chores that the the sort of servant class in this household does. Just the regular stuff. There's nothing. There's no plot. 
There's yep. no there's no forward action. All the plot and forward action are happening in the music in the in the dancing to the music that you can hear while Kristen just like wipes the table down. I mean it's a, it's <laughs> yep. amazing. It's bizarre. You can see how it has influenced plays in the middle 20th century. There's a huge sort of resurgence of this kind of naturalism right now. I mean it's just like it's it's you come across it and it doesn't strike you a lot in reading it. And then you think about it at all. And it's like, what the heck? Yeah, this would be wild. <laughs> Just wild to actually like see done and and pulled off well. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a really cool scene early on in the play, too, to kind of like it's it's just a really interesting scene for, for that early in the script. We'll talk about one other kind of called for really interesting diversion from the plot in still a somewhat naturalistic sense. So um but that'll be a little bit later on because in comes Jean from having uh, danced and he's still talking about how wild Julie, Miss Julie is. And you start to get a little bit more ribbing from Christine towards Jean about how much he's talking about Miss Julie and things like that. And, and then eventually Miss Julie makes her debut into the scene and she comes in. She is uh, kind of breathless, having danced and and uh, uh, wondered where where Jean has gone um, because Jean has kind of. Uh, uh, left left the space and she comes in asking him to dance with her again um, and she kind of insists on that you start to get a little bit of uh, Jean attempting to resist saying for propriety's sake you probably shouldn't dance with you know the valet of the house multiple times you should maybe like <laughs> spread around who you're dancing with at this party or people are going to start talking um, and Miss Julie starts to kind of pursue him a little bit more and she says I, I kind of order you to do this as, as the uh, you know countess or the daughter of the count in the house, I, I don't know what the the like the 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 daughter rank is necessarily within that structure, but yeah. So she commands him to uh, come out and dance with her again, and he says, "Well, I gave this dance to Christine," um, and Christine says, "Well, you were commanded to do it, so I guess go ahead and do that." Um, and you kind of start to see a little bit of the the triangle that begins to form <laughs> um, uh, with with this crew. Uh, eventually they come back in from having had that dance and uh, you uh, have a pretty extended scene um, where Miss Julie and uh, Jean have this back and forth. They debate a lot of things. They they kind of like talk about talk about their situation. Um, but what becomes clear is um, this sort of uh, uh, sexual tension between the two of them. Um, and you talk, you, there's, there's a lot of, uh, of talk about propriety and uh, what is right, what is good, uh, should, should we, should we not? Miss Julie kind of is the leading force, holds a lot of the power in the scene of kind of like pushing for that. But Jean also, especially uh, once you get to the second half of the play, um, Jean is manipulating his way into this relationship as well. Um, so, so you have the, the kind of back and forth continuing. You have more talk about like, what are the servants thinking if you're in here talking to me for so long? It's in the wee hours of the morning. Eventually, Christine goes to bed and they're still talking here alone. Um, eventually, they hear the servants coming in like this kind of party singing song. Um, and they have, they've kind of made their way out to the garden. And uh, Jean says, we have to run. If they see us together, all sorts of impropriety stuff will be said about us. Come, let's go hide in my room. Um, and he, he says, I promise nothing's going to happen. Um, we're just going to hide away from these from these uh, other servants so that no one talks behind our back about stuff. Miss um, Julie decides to believe him. 
Uh, and uh, in they go into his room. Then a ballet scene happens. Another kind of odd scene emerges onto the <laughs> into the script. Um, you have uh, the uh, this this ballet ballet scene where the 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 servants are all kind of doing this dance um, uh, to music that is being sung. And then they emerge from the room, and it is it is clear quickly, um, if not immediately, that they have had sex. Um, and, uh, the rest of the play is kind of the fallout of them having sex together. Um, because Miss Julie, uh, is, is somewhat distraught about, um, what has happened, especially when it becomes clear that for Jean, this was like, you know, they're for him, for sure. They're not in love. Um, uh, and this was, this was kind of, uh, at least partially some of his move to try to get closer to Julie. He has this dream about like trying to run an inn someday. So he tries to like get her to find some money to come away with him. Cause now they have to run away. Cause what happens if they stay in the same house and they won't be able to control their feelings for each other. Um, and her father finds out and everything bad is going to happen. Um, and uh, through the course of this, we learn a lot about Miss Julie and her history. Her family has kind of this, uh, uh, basically a traumatic past. Um, her her mother um, and her, her father kind of fell in love. Her mother refused to marry her father. Um, and uh, 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 until eventually uh, they, they kind of, uh, <laughs> the, her, her father kind of won out and got her to marry him. Uh, though uh, against against her wishes to some degree, which led to basically a revenge plot that her mother launched against her father, where she both cheated on a man and got her father to um, uh, uh, borrow money from that man, <laughs> and also burn down their house for 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 some a lot of a lot of stuff happens in their past, <laughs> and it's and it's traumatic and stuff. And her mother kind of trained her to be independent of men. Um, and you and this is where the scene kind of comes up where she says, "Yeah." So I was, she says, right? I mean, I yeah. I, this is. Uh, we, we come across this a lot in drama and it's, I, I would just, I just was teaching drama lit this semester and it was something we had to keep revisiting as a class too, where it's like, just because someone says something. <laughs> right. I, I, right. I mean, when you're, when you're writing in this way, you're, when characters have these things that they do for, and they say things and it's not always true, you know, not and always it's true, yeah. it's pursuing there. So I don't, I mean, I don't have, I guess, a reason to distrust Miss Julie other than that that's a wild story. <laughs> it is a wild story for sure. Um, uh, so, so, so eventually she's, she's kind of unpacks all of that and they continue uh, to kind of wonder what the next best thing to do is. Um, the different, different, and different moments. One of the characters or the other has the plan um, that they try for a little while, and then, then uh, most, and then most of the time it un or, or unravels around them as they try to try to figure out the best way forward. They talk through the night. Um, uh, and Christine eventually wakes up to go to church and asks John, to, are you ready to go to church? Um, uh, there, they, uh, have this kind of back and forth between them about John not really wanting to go to church. Christine, uh, talking about it'd be really good if he did. You probably need to go to church. Um, you got some stuff that you need to maybe get forgiven for. Um, and she has this sort of, uh, uh, aside with, uh, Miss Julie, who is basically at this point starting to panic. Um, she, she knows her father's coming home soon. She's trying to figure out how that how to either cover up this thing that she and John did um, uh, or run away um, and, and start, start somewhere else and try to make it work between them, etc. 
And so Christine has has this beat where she tries to kind of uh, tell uh, Miss Julie that there is a way to forgiveness and that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, etc. That's kind of an important line for what eventually happens. Um, and then she heads off to church. Uh, what then follows is is a move towards uh, them running away together. Uh, Miss Julie leaves leaves the stage and kind of goes and uh, gets her things and comes back. Uh, she comes back with uh, like a suitcase and a canary cage. Pretty important scene. <laughs> uh, again, in terms of like what what the scenes of this play is or what this play is known for in terms of its scenes. There's a canary that has to be like that is killed by Jean because uh, he says no, you can't take the canary. And uh, Miss Julie says, uh, I'd rather not have anyone uh, own it other than me. And so John kills kills the canary. Um, and uh, and that can kind of continues this sort of spiral for Miss Julie. Um, she starts to uh, think about kind of uh, voicing more and more the wonderings of whether it's uh, worth it for her to go on or not. Um, especially because John continues to say we're not we're not in love and eventually we will uh, like leave each other. <laughs> this 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 isn't going to work. Um, but we need to be separate from this place because one of the one way or the other, um, one of us is going to have consequences for what is for what has happened. The bell rings uh, at about this point, and we see all of John's sort of confidence uh, evaporate as the Count is in the building. Um, uh, he says that he wants his breakfast and his shoes up to him in two minutes, and uh, all of John's uh, um, uh, uh, bravado. Panache. Yes, thank you. Bravado goes away as he's like, oh, I'd do anything for this count. I just want to. And what what the kind of social movement that John is going through is he's trying to climb uh, up the ladder a little bit. He eventually wants to own this in. He wants to protect his reputation. Um, and so he sort of manipulates Miss Julie into uh, this eventual path towards her leaving the stage with a razor in her hand, assumedly overcome with the guilt of the situation and going off stage to to kill herself with with this razor um she, so she's asked jean to give her like instructions to like, yeah. sort of order her to help her know what to do and in a, a a very effective uh tense theatrical moment he whispers the instruction tells her to go out to the barn and pss, 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 and then yep. she goes off with the razor i mean that is dramaturgically powerful uh, it, right experience is stirring to know life or death stakes are on the line and someone is going to do something with a razor that we don't right. know but we do know you know in the in the painful pitiful part of our hearts yeah yeah so so the 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 kind of pathway of the play ends there with the two of them you know, like kind of having this the early the early half of the play is them kind of dancing around this will they won't they have some sort of romantic engagement they do um uh they, they have sex together then they come out and it's kind of a flip of like now what's the what's the ramifications what's the consequences and the kind of uh not kind of just the tragic in the in the the proper theatrical form of that word the tragic ending of these characters as it as it slowly uh the consequences of their actions and their context uh, come to bear on their lives. Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously there's a lot in this play that is worrisome and troublesome. I mean, it, it for example, the, the way that Jean treats Julie after they've slept together is, is painful to see and to witness in so many ways. Um, and it, it, 
it represents someone who who is out to get something. I mean, one of the sort of pivotable, uh, uh, rather pivoting parts of their negotiation is that um, prior to them going into the room together, he's told this story about seeing her, like sort of watching her in the weeds when they were children and, and falling in love with her, so much so that he dressed up and went to see her at church and did get to see her and was so sort of enthralled with her beauty that he he decides to kill himself as a young man, as a, as a as boy, but, you know, we don't have quite an age, but as a young boy, and, and does it in this, I mean, it's it's counterintuitive and, and sort of... Uh, gruesomely uh, contrasting, but it decides to do it yeah. in this kind of romantic way. Takes these box elders into a, a box of oats to sort of drift to sleep with this poison uh, because of his love for her. And it's it's sort of told in this, like, it's a sweet... Uh, incredible gesture of his long-standing affection for her. And then after they've slept together, the negotiation comes around to the point where it's like, what about, Julie's like, well, what about the, the thing that you said? And he's like, I just said that. It was a story. I think I Made read it, it somewhere. Yeah. It, was, it, just, it seemed romantic. And, and I know that the girls all go for this romantic stuff. You know, right. it's not an right. exact yeah. quote, but it's a pretty darn good summary, I would say. Yeah, yeah, the the flip of Jean into this sort of like villain essentially in the second act. Like there's 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 reasons for his villainy. Um but at least in the reading of the play there are perhaps ways that you could stage this and kind of decide to act this play. But in the reading of it, Miss Julie has a lot of power in the first half of the play. Um she is kind of uh, a lot of her lines at least are kind of um, leaning toward John and John is the one backing away. Um, and, uh, you kind of get this, this, uh, pursuit of John from Miss Julie. Mostly, I think, uh, at least to some degree as kind of, uh, this, this, uh, there's a, definitely a power dynamic that she's playing with. She's playing with, uh, the, the power of her station over Jean, um, but also some attraction between them. Um, and, and eventually it culminates in, 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 uh, the, the, the offstage scene of, with them. Um, but then just almost immediately when they come back on stage, Jean has flipped into this, like no longer the, the, uh, the submissive valet who has to, uh, uh, do the will of Miss Julie, but this sort of like, with, as he continuously admits to like, like in the, in the scene that you described, Jacob, um, this kind of manipulative person who, uh, is, uh, is much more interested and clearly very aware of his station and much more interested in, in advancing that station in some way. And it it does seem to be the way the play is crafted that that same kind of use of power uh, and, and status and manipulation that Jean shows after the, the they have sex together is shown by Miss Julie beforehand. I mean, there's yeah. one of the kind of crucial images of the play that you'll know if you know anything about it is that at one point uh, Julie orders Jean to kiss her shoe. And it's 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 a I mean it's designed to be sort of erotic and built into the power of the moment and her sort of uh, authority as the mistress of the house to command this attractive servant to kiss her shoe and it's this whole deal and and the power switches so starkly after this event that it becomes one of the things that really gets you sort of reeling about the play and 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 Jean. Has I mean one way to play Jean, although I think that 
the multiple motivations rather than a one motivation is part of what this play does. But one way to play Jean is that he has this dream of owning a hotel and being the sort of the master of the house in the Les Miserables sense, right? This sort of, right. uh, I'm going to fix up the bills and I'm going to greet the guests. I'm going to manage everything. I'm going to be the guy in charge of this hotel. To do it, he needs financing. And so Julie, sort of sweeping Julie off with him in this dream, she can steal a bunch of money from her dad to do that. And that may be a way to approach the character of John. I don't know that it's the only way, but that this this lot of this play is a long manipulation towards that. And if that's your reading of it, what happens at the end where he encourages her to commit suicide potentially, uh, you, you know, would only come if he's sure that he can't get what she wants. And this is it's what he wants, rather. And this is where this is all leading to. For such a um, sidebar character for most of the play, Kristen plays a major role in how this play ends. Because as she's leaving to go to church, she says to them, Oh, and on my way, I'm going to tell the groom's person not to give out any horses in case people yeah. are trying to slip away. She, and so, and then of course, at that point, John and Julie's plan of taking horses and leaving before the count gets home is done. I mean, so she shuts down the possibility of whatever was going to happen with them running off together. And, and before that, she's even uh, invited to run off with them in a sort of uh, grand triangle whatever relationship they were going to have yeah. in the future yeah, yeah. Uh, but but she chooses not to she's going to church but she she steps in and in, in a lot of ways causes the end of the play yeah that beats like 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 it's 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 probably the only I don't know. I, I read that and I was like, oh, wow, she's got some real clout over the stable boy that they wouldn't be able to, like, <laughs> get the stable boy to let them have a horse. Um, but, yeah, that, like, closing off the escape route um, necessitates the end of the play. Um, you, you get the sense that they probably wouldn't have chosen to stay um, if they if they if they had had an option to not. Um, and 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 but but also I think I think the other thing you said in there that the stuff about the multiple motivations that's that's an important part of this play that's uh, one of, again like in ter in terms of theater history a lot of people were writing single motivation characters and Strindberg is writing this character who is bo both characters really in both Miss Julie and in John have so much going on in them um uh that that uh that that is all all coming to play certainly certainly Jean has a lot going on some of it is villainous some of it is is scrappy some of it could be some sort of affection for for Miss Julie um uh so so it's all kind of like wrapped into him but Miss Julie has just so much um that she is kind of grappling with um in in her role as as probably the tragic hero of this play. Um, she has, she has just a lot going on in terms of her, her family that she's holding on to. She has a lot going on in terms of the uh, kind of security of, of uh, both the relationship that she was in before, but also her relationship with her father and the servants and all that's going on in the household. And, and by the end of the play, the real stakes that she has over what happens if someone found, finds out about this night, that we had and the ramifications uh, of, of that action. Yeah. And, and I mean, in terms of ramifications, in terms of like the consequences for the night, I, I, do, I think both characters use the potential for what could happen and you see them sort of negotiate what their relationship is going to be. And it's kind of the stakes that are part of the negotiation. 
I mean, I, I suppose unless if, if you assume no one actually did know and, and, and did anybody actually know that they slept together is part of the negotiation for so oh, Kristen knew. No, there's no way she knew. The people knew. No, there's no way they knew. So that if you set that aside and you assume nobody truly know and you assume that she didn't get pregnant, I suppose there. I mean, there's not a lot of like long term um, social consequence if if it truly is a secret. So they start to bandy about with like what what else is going to happen now? Well, once you've done it once, if we're going to continue right. to live in the house together, like we're going to just do it all the time, and right. and then we're definitely going to get caught. And it, you know, if we're doing it all the time, and this is 1888, then there really is you know the possibility of a pregnancy, the possibility of a, a big scandal, uh, the possibility of all this stuff. And and so both of them use what are the potential stakes thereafter as a negotiating tool with each other. Well, that's what's going to do to the count. What's that going to do to your reputation? And then there are consequences to them running off together as well, right? Jean very powerfully says at one point, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The daughter of the Count runs off with the valet. Yeah, all that, that's going to be fine. Nobody's going to have right. any problem with that. That's not going to ruin <laughs> the Count. They're not going to come after us for sure. That's just going to be A-OK. Right. Yeah, yeah. But then at other moments, he's like, yeah, we'll run off to like Romania where I can buy a count <laughs> or a, 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 a title of some sort. And then we'll be, you know, Vicons together. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's 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 yeah, the, the, the way that they try to negotiate. It's interesting. You get the sense that if one of their spirals had happened differently or like timed out differently, that because because it seems like one character or the other has have moments of spiraling um, in their negotiation afterwards. And if any of that timing had been different, they might have both like hit a hit a resonancy point because by the you know, you start. It seems like Jean kind of pitches an idea and Julie is spiraling, so it doesn't really work. And eventually Jean kind of leaves aside that idea because Julie is spiraling and he's like, maybe I don't want to spend you know this, all this time with you. But then Julie comes around to the idea and starts saying like, oh, well, yeah, this is a great idea, actually. Let's go and do it. And John's like, no, no, we're not going to do it. We really can't. There's no way that that'll work. Um, and so you get the sense that like if if um, if there was a resonancy point between them and if the horses could have been <laughs> available to them to leave, they might have actually like gotten out of there. Um, but but the way the scenes are structured is like kind of perfectly them not being at the same base at the same moment for them to get get out of there <laughs> and figure out figure out a way to to kind of continue on what's next and then the dominoes start to fall the count shows up and the canary dies and all the like the the real things that like really start to drive them apart further and further happen in like the last third of the show um but yeah it's just you you, you kind of like the missed opportunities are are really present for them as well as they're negotiating what what to do in the fallout. The the way that this play begins, I think, is so interesting for for what's to come, and it makes it such a complicated series of events. I mean, I think that a 
a much simpler, let's say far too simple and not at all complex version of this play. And actually the play I'm about to describe probably does exist and it's just so bad that nobody bothers with it is something <laughs> to the effect of a, of a debonair, uh, a, a, a suave, uh, uh, a valet seduces innocent young rich woman and, uh, you know, everything falls apart after that. But the first line of this play and the, the, the sort of, person that Miss Julie is with all of the servants is part of what this story is too. And it's kind of an uncomfortable part, especially in 2023. Uh, but it is nonetheless part of it. I mean, Jean's first line, he comes in from the party and says, Miss Julie's crazy again tonight. Absolutely crazy. And and many adaptions have dealt with that and, and sort of wondered what what is going on i believe that there is a a a film uh a film of the stage version of miss julie i think they just call it julie uh, as part of that national theater at home uh subscription that you can get where they really lean heavily into like what is going on with miss julie or julie so that at the beginning of the play, she's in the place that the other people around her seem to think she's in Hmm. Yeah. 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 Cause like what, yeah. To what degree is she actually like kind of slipping? <laughs> um, and, and, uh, yeah, you, 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 you don't, it's interesting in a play that is naturalistic and does, uh, prescribe quite a bit, um, in terms of like, like, so for instance, the pantomime scene where it's like, you you really gotta, you really gotta like have this scene happen where Christine is there by herself for a bunch of time. Um, and, and on it goes, and there's some pretty specific stage directions and things like that. Um, but, and yet one, of, I think one of the like staying powers of this show, um, is that there is some things left open and, and it's, and one of the things that you just described and it, it, or you just described one of the things, um, is that, you know, what degree is Julie? Yeah. What degree is Julie crazy? What degree is she just trying to buck a system that is kind of boxing her in? What uh, degree is Jean, uh, a manipulative uh, cad <laughs> or to what degree is he, uh, uh, uh you know, uh, uh, still basically a child who is trying to, who saw something on the other side of the fence and is still trying to get to that other side of the fence. Um, so, so you have all of this, this, uh, these, these characters are so rich, um, and, and so motivated in various ways that you continue having, uh, people come to the script and, you know, say, well, what happens when we turn Julie's crazy up to 11? What happens when we turn John's villainy up to 11? And, uh, it changes the way that you, you interact with the play. Yeah, and, and it's because it's so much of it is driven by psychological motivation. And it's amazing, actually, still, you know, 140-some years later, 30-some years later, that, like, individual psychology and, and motivation is still this kind of cloudy mystery to us as artists. And so yeah. that, you know, that they, 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 I'm sure August Strindberg had some sense of why the characters were making the decisions they are, but across that long tenured storied history that Miss Julie has productions every year since 1888, so many different choices have been made about what drives these characters. 
Yeah. And there's, there's like just so many facets, so many little pieces, so many, like we, like, like you said at the beginning, like there's like, we, <laughs> there are so many things in this play that you could spend so much time about that people have spent so much time <laughs> talking about, um, that we could zero in on and continue to talk about. Alas, we have come about to the end of our time for this particular conversation on the podcast. Um, but this, uh, the, 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 boy, the thing, let's say the a couple more times. The thing that I like about this podcast is uh, that we get to extend the conversation out to all of you out there in podcast land as well. Um, uh, we'd love to keep talking about Miss Julie with you on all of our social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on any of those sites, and we'd love to keep talking about it, and we'd love to keep cultivating the space for you all to talk about it with each other as well. Absolutely. If you enjoyed this conversation, if you've enjoyed any of our other conversations, please recommend us to your family, your friends, anybody you know that likes scripts, stories, conversations about how writing, character development, all that kind of stuff works and about great plays. Uh, if you know anybody like that, send them our way. They can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, lots of other places. If you like the episode, or if you like our Facebook page, rather, the episode appears there every Monday when we publish. It's easy to click and play from there. Until next week when we're back with another great script, I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Thanks for listening to No Script, the podcast. <laughs>